Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. We've got Rusty Mansell, Dogs 247, coming up in a little bit. The real story behind the Georgia quarterback room. Uh, everybody wants to know what's happening, what's been happening in that quarterback room, and what to expect from that uh, game coming up against Auburn as well as the SEC as a whole. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but we begin with a headline... So, stemming from that. And so JT Daniels is cleared. JT Daniels is somebody who, you know, Tom, you've been very, very bullish on him ever since the transfer. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you had that, uh, I don't know if Jamie Newman's going to be all that, you know, you had that sort of cornered early and JT Daniels comes in. So now that he's been medically cleared, you know, what's your expectation in terms of uh, his, what he could mean for this Georgia offense? Well, I think that he's certainly, based on what we saw against Arkansas, he's almost certainly going to be an upgrade on what we have in the quarterback room already with Dewan Mathis starting in that game. And just, I mean, I don't want to hold that against Mathis as a career or as a quarterback because, again, he's he's a kid. It's his very first start. It was against an SEC opponent, and you think of how things normally go. You're usually playing a non-conference game to start a season, and you normally have a full spring and all that kind of stuff to get ready. So it's nothing against him. It's just he's clear it's that he's not ready for this role right now, not for a team that's bringing in a new offense and wants to be you know competing for an SEC title and a national championship. And then Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback, but it's kind of like the situation we saw with a lot of teams where he's good enough to help you win your conference maybe, but he's not good enough to win a national title. We've seen in recent years that unless you have a top-of-the-line QB, it is really difficult to win the national title, and that's George's goal. So that's where JT Daniels comes in because we haven't seen a ton of him because he played in 2018, and as a freshman, he completed about 60% of his passes. He had 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Typical kind of freshman performance, but then they brought in the new offense at USC, an air raid offense, which isn't the same thing as what Todd Munkin's going to be running at Georgia, but it does have a lot of the same kind of principles. And he won the competition, the quarterback competition at USC over Kadan Slovis, started the season as the quarterback, suffered the knee injury, was out for the year. Kadan Slovis takes in, and we saw how Slovis performed in that offense. So if he was able to beat Slovis in camp, and Slovis played that well, it's you know somewhat safe to assume that hey he's pretty good too. He was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. He was you know he's got the size, he's got the arm, he's got everything. He's got kind of a weird villainy-looking mustache, which could be kind of you know, <laughs> I don't know what that. I don't know how we want to look at that going forward. But I think that if you look at the quarterback room and you just stand you know JT Daniels next to Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis and you tell somebody who doesn't really watch football to pick out the quarterback of the three, they're all going to point at JT Daniels. And I think that that's going to be important. And I think he's an upgrade and that's going to help the Georgia offense which as we saw could use a little help yeah I mean I'll, I'll save I'll save the most of the JT Daniels talk for Rusty because he touched on it a little bit but um, I don't know it's it I think the key for for JT Daniels is is just being comfortable with his health being you know being um, having that out of his mind that uh, you know 
no distraction in terms of, of um, favoring his knee or anything like that. And if he's if he's sort of fully comfortable with his health, if he's fully comfortable with his mobility and, and um, I don't even know if it's his drive leg or his plant leg or what it is, but um, that's that's the key. I, I think if that's all all clear, then I would expect JT to be a pretty significant upgrade. So, uh, number one, the mustache is called intangibles and it is a benefit. <laughs> we, we absolutely, uh, consider that to be a deal breaker and, uh, a tiebreaker whenever we're going through our quarterback ratings, which speaking of Barton, uh, opened himself up to, or yes, he has opened himself up to all of the, the, the criticism he's opened himself. I mean, he's, he's no stranger to this. You know, you unveil a new set of, uh, 24 seven sports rankings and you've got to draw your sword and get ready for the, the anger and the just, just the, the fire that comes from these fan bases as their commits move up and down in the rankings. But he's got some sec quarterback power rankings based on week one performance. Now I'm not going to spoil. We're not going to just roll through the entire rankings, but I did see that Stetson Bennett, the fourth, OI seven of 18 pledge class president is, you know, right at above average checking in at number six. So for, you know, think with the idea of JT Daniels being cleared with Dewan Mathis, maybe potentially getting an, another opportunity uh, to go out there after taking some hits and learning a little bit in his first game. You know, do you think that is, is unnamed Georgia quarterback probably going to be like a top half? Is it seven or six, just a spot that's reserved right now for a Georgia quarterback, you think? Or do you, is there a, a higher ceiling out there? And I ask that knowing that the, the names at the top, you know, your KJ Costellos, your Kyle Trask, your Mac Jones, like it's a, it's tough to crack that ceiling. You know, what's, what is it? Where's the Georgia quarterback fit in the power ranking of the SEC quarterbacks? To, to this point, I'm not sure Kirby Smart, like the per, what Kirby Smart wants out of his quarterback is to land in the six to eight range in the SEC. You know, like if he's got a great one, you know, maybe he can sneak out to like four. But man, if you're taking enough chances, if you're being dynamic enough to be one or two, that ain't the guy for me. You know, if you are at the bottom half of the of the, the rankings, if you're 10, 11, 12, you're turning the ball over too much, that ain't the guy for me. If you are Stetson Bennett and you come in there and you complete a bunch of 12-yard outs and you you know you you're you don't turn the ball over and you're you're you, you hand the ball off really well and you <laughs> win the game, you you know what? That's the thing for me because the the I mean ultimately one of the de- sort of delineations in the rankings after the week one is who took care of the football i mean because outside of the top three or four there's a it's a flawed group no none of them are none of them are perfect but you know bo Nix, his game wasn't off the charts but he threw three touchdowns and no interceptions you know he didn't make any big mistakes he kept he gave auburn a chance throughout and that the defense you know, gave them the ball enough times to, to make a difference. And he, you know, he got the ball in the hands of his playmakers like Seth Williams. And so, uh, that's in the sec, especially this year with a lot of, of quarterback sort of, um, jostling there in, in that sort of middle tier. Um, that's, that's kind of all you need. And that's all Georgia seems to really want, uh, I don't know if that's all Georgia wants because I guess they did go for the 
that they they took it a swing. You know, they took a home run cut with Dwan Mathis, and you know, it was a whiff in week one. Maybe it maybe it doesn't look like a whiff later in the season, but Stetson Bennett's just get out there and and you know what, figure out a way to hit where they're not, get a single out of this guy, and and let the defense do the rest. Uh, and I think I think Kirby Smart is very comfortable with that sort of a uh, uh, that that sort of a profile. So, like, seriously, how hard was it though after the top three? It was impossible. <laughs> it was impossible. I mean, it was. I tell you what, um, Matt Corral was a was a, a more clear number four than I sort. Of, I mean, I guess I should have realized that, but I guess you don't. Corral's the fourth best quarterback coming into the season, but you know his his day against Florida. I mean, even from a you know analytical standpoint, from all the the advanced stats and net metrics, like he he had a great day. Now a lot of that was garbage time fourth quarter stuff, but he had a you know he had a really good day, and I I, I do wonder kind of how that looks uh, moving forward. I, I felt pretty comfortable with the top five in the order, but after Knicks, it really was um, you know it's just. I don't know. I don't know how you you really definitively evaluate these guys. You know, Sean Robinson completed like seventy six percent of his passes, um, and so, but a lot of that was you know garbage time, and a lot of yeah. that was first quarter nothing completions, and so um, it's a. Uh, and and hey, I had Ken Seals, your guy, really, my guy, <laughs> really low, um, but I mean Ken Seals, I thought was just. You know, he just gives Vanderbilt a chance in a way that I didn't know that necessarily he would, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm gonna like trade Kellen Mond for Ken Seals or I'm gonna trade Miles Brennan for Ken Seals or you know those guys, they all have different challenges. Um, and so it's I think it's gonna take a while this season for it to for the pecking order to really sort itself out. So go ahead. I was going to say the one thing that stood out to me, though, because like you mentioned, Bo Nix and he's looking better. And it's like when you looked at the completion percentage, it's like, come on, get that thing over 60 percent. And it's yeah. like, I'd like to see that going forward. But the one thing that really stands out to me is, you know, and it's again, it's only one game. But last year he completed, you know, 58 percent of his passes. But more than anything, they were short passes, which is why it was like the completion percentage was so crazy because he was averaging only six point seven yards per attempt. And you're like, my God, if you can't throw short passes, what's going to happen when they need you to make, you know, the big boy throws? Well, he only completed just under 60 percent against Kentucky, but it was his yards per attempt that climbed to eight point six, which is a full yard and a half higher than it was last year, nearly two yards more than it was last year. So for me, I think that's an encouraging signed for him in that Chad Morris offense. So that's the one thing that stood out to me. Who from that, uh, some of that bottom half group, because this was, again, just so the fans know, as before they get too fired up clicking on the link, um, it it's just, we're just grading on one game. Just, yeah. just grading on mm-hmm. week one. This is not an overarching power ranking. Who do you expect the bounce back from? Who's Who is the quarterback that you slotted low and you just mentioned the season-long pecking order? Who... Who are you looking to, and you're like, this? there are better performances in their future? Well, I mean, I, I think I've, I've come to sort of accept who Kellen Mond is, um, and, and that's a, oh, a, a below, the, below the Mendoza line quarterback in the SEC probably, or at least not a quarterback that like, you really are, are going to lean on to, to take the next step. But his... The, the the volatility of his game is you know makes for perhaps uh, you know an, a, a, a a dot on the graph that's a little higher 
um, than than where it is in week one. You know, there, there there'll be a couple data points along the way where he's he, he has great weeks, and and I think some of that could be dependent on some receivers emerging for him. Um, right now, he doesn't have a lot of experience to throw to. And uh, that probably is going to impact Jimbo Fisher's play calling as well. It's certainly impacting the way uh, he's, you know, the, the the rotation at the receiver position. So I'm I'm interested in in what you know Kellen Mond does in the future. I'm interested in what Felipe Franks does. I mean, he he had the the unfortunate distinction of playing against Georgia, and uh, he he had the worst day um, of anybody. But he also, and I wrote this in the story, he looked better than the guys they had last year. So. I think that that's that's encouraging, and then like I'm I'm also very anxious to see if Miles Brennan can just settle in. You know, it just it just looked a little bit much for him week one, but uh, you got to think that over the course of the season he'll settle in, and 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 there'll there'll be some big weeks for him as well. But I I I would suspect honestly that the top five will. I don't know. Like, I, what do you guys think? Do you think someone else will jump into that top five? So the top five being the top five being um, uh, Trask, Costello, Mac Trask Jones, Costello. Matt Corral, and Bo Nix. Bo Nix in some order, not not that specific order, but just in some order. That being the top five, do you guys think that by the end of the season, when we look at the quarterbacks, that there will be someone else inside that top five? JT Daniels. Do you think so? Yeah, I think that. I mean, I I don't know if Corral's going to be there all season long. I think he's sure. going to have ups and downs just because sure. I think that that's kind of the way that offense works. I think Bo Nix could have a drop off. So I think there is some wiggle room there, but I think, I think it's, I, I'm just strongly confident that JT Daniels is going to prove to be one of the better QBs in the SEC this year. And I also think that, you know, you, you wrote about it too, like the inconsistencies of Jarrett Guarantano. It's like, if he could just get it together, I think he is the kind of talent that could be a top five player. It's just, I don't have a ton of confidence there. So I would say Daniels is probably the safest bet among, among the candidates to do it. If I was trying to be cheeky, I might mention Bryce young, but first impressions of Bryce young say that Mac Jones is pretty good set in his ways, especially just like, I mean, he looked good. A number one, like forget that Bryce Young is even on the roster. Forget that there's all this excitement about, um, you know, the the talent that is Bryce Young and the future and the SEC championship and the college football playoff contention that are likely ahead in Bryce Young's career. Mac Jones looks pretty good. The offense runs really, really well with him at the helm. And so, you know, I'm I, I might have thrown thrown that Bryce Young curveball, but at least through one game, I. I I kind of feel like the even if Bryce Young is playing and and playing a role in Alabama's national championship contention, unless an injury takes place, I don't think that it's going to be uh, Mac Jones losing the job. Yeah, and I'd like to see Mac Jones get to be able to do more too because he only threw 24 passes in that game against Mizzou. The only quarterback to throw a pass in the SEC all last weekend who threw fewer than Mac Jones' 24 were Dwan Mathis. He had 17 attempts. Even even Stetson Bennett, who came in late, threw 29 times, whereas Mac Jones only threw 24 passes. He averaged over 10 yards per attempt, completed 75% of them. It's like... I, I hope I'd like to see Alabama in a situation where they can let Mac Jones throw more than he had to against Missouri. And I don't want to wish any kind of injury at all. Like that's not at all. That's not my, uh, that's, 
that's not part of my prediction. It's not the way that I like to go about um, trying to envision the way the season's going to play out, particularly when it comes to sorting out the pecking order. But man, like Mississippi State better hope KJ Costello stays on that field. <laughs> right? I mean, have, don't, I don't know. I don't why? know. You think I he gets the ball out fast like, enough that he's just never going to get hit? Man. Will Rogers, the, the true freshman that played high school oh. football at uh, – <laughs> at Gardner Minshew's high school and one of his only um, offers out of high school other than Mississippi State was Washington State. Uh, he is their, he's their backup and he, he, he was getting all kinds of positive reviews in the preseason. And so I'm not, I don't, like, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe that's the same positive reviews that Dwan Mathis was getting. But I, I think there's, there's, I, I wouldn't rule out the idea that K's backup is capable of of getting it done as well. So your argument yeah. is not that the air raid allows KJ Costello to avoid getting hit because it gets the ball out fast. Your argument is even if KJ Costello misses time, you can just plug him in. Any backup, yeah. let's go. Yeah, I mean it's it's Mike Leach. Let's, I mean, look at the names of guys he had who had huge monster seasons at Washington State. Anthony Gordon, you know, uh, Gardner Minshew obviously is proven proven to be pretty good. He's still playing in the NFL, but like Luke Fall. Oh, we didn't know Gardner Minshew was good before he started. Like Gardner exactly. Minshew was a career average quarterback at exactly. ECU that was about to be the third stringer at Alabama and go into coaching. Yeah, like, I, that's, that's who what, Gardner Minshew was when he showed up at Washington State. Like honestly, Chip, I think you could show up at you know in Starkville put some pads on you. And I feel like Mike Leach could still have you completing at least 60% of your passes on one weekend. If you give him a couple weeks, maybe <laughs> I got like, I, I, I don't have the best pass beyond like seven to 10 yards. I got to be honest you don't need with you to. Guys. You know, that's the beauty of Mike's offense. <laughs> Crossing <don't> routes. Have, <laughs> Mike has had a lot of weak armed quarterbacks and Mike has been openly saying, he's like, he doesn't care about arm strength. He says, if you could throw an accurate football, you're going to work just fine for him. My swing speed Plus is straight Jim, from the that, uh, senior tour. Now, now that everyone's seen what Mike Leach's offense looks like against um, press man coverage, you're going to get nothing but prevent zone defense anyway. Mm-hmm. So you just all you have to do is toss <laughs> it out to the back and throw the little mesh underneath routes. You can see a lot of quarters, buddy. You just toss <laughs> to the running back in the flat, you'll be fine. The Drew Brees game plan: just toss to Alvin Kamara. Yeah, if it's Kylan Hill or Alvin Kamara, I'll be good. Go get me those yak yards. Let's do it. A uh, little bit of news from Monday night: Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, uh, you know, defensive back, superstar for Ohio State. Wyatt Davis, key piece of that offensive line, both seemingly bound for the 2021 NFL draft, not choosing to participate in whatever winter or spring season might or might not happen. All of a sudden, Big Ten's back in, and Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis have been cleared, uh, according to head coach Ryan Day. So. Without a doubt, a boost shot, a, a boost for a team that we were already ready to pencil in to national championship contention. But you know, sort of built into this, I wanted to get the you know just just throw it out there. Like like when are we when are we going to really start digging in on the Big Ten, right? Because the SEC just got started. It feels like we got a couple weeks under us, and we don't have it coming until that October twenty fourth weekend. How do, how do we want to roll this out? Like, when do we want to start digging into Big Ten win totals? When are we going to really start doing that? Because you're going to need to be ambidextrous in your brain. You're going to need to be doing <laughs> preseason previews while doing midseason analysis. How, how are we going to approach these next couple weeks? I, I mean, we, we've like, it would be nice to have a Citadel week 
this year. We don't. We're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> if every weekend's like the one we just saw, it's going to be hard to to steal our attention away. Um, I don't know, Tom. That's your that's your neck of the woods. How well, you gonna how you gonna carve it out? I mean, I'll be there. That's <laughs> I can do it all, baby. I mean, I've always done it that way. I'm able to watch everybody, but it's it's just weird to me. Like, it's not so much how am I going to be able to pay attention to it once it starts. It's just, oh yeah, that's right. I have to keep remembering because it's like there was a part of me that when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 postponed, you kind of just had that mental part, that mental breaker is like, all right, they're not playing this year. So I kind of accepted that and just moved on as approach to, all right, so this is what we have to worry about. This is what we have to do. So now, like you're saying, Chip, I've got to kind of dive back into like all that information I had about all these teams that I'd kind of just pushed out because I was like, well, I don't need it anymore. So now I'm diving back in, trying to study up on them as I'm trying to, you know, pay attention to what's going on. And you're right. It's not, it's not easy, man. But it's like, I will say, you know, I'm happy that Ohio State finally has a talent infusion out of that roster. <laughs> I mean, it is going to be weird, like when, as we just week after week are like, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, and Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, and Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, Indiana, Illinois pops up on the slate, mm-hmm. and like, oh, well, Purdue's playing Nebraska this weekend, or whatever it is. It's like that's going to just feel a little bit odd. I'm I'm Game ready the for week, it. Illinois, Indiana. I cannot wait for one and O Penn State to jump like the six and two team in the top ten. Like that's that's what I'm here for. I'm I'm ready for all doing of it. that. They haven't even played. Like the AP poll this week, I, I it's like okay, well we could put them back in. So they're started like the, the voters are just knocking out all these teams that they've been ranking. It's like they won, and they're still knocking them out for teams that haven't played yet. I'm like, come on. I yeah. love it. Give it to me. I want to feel it. Uh, I was looked really good in practice. I'm going to put them at 19. Get out of here, Cajuns. So I was I was starting to lay out our schedule, and I was thinking, you know, we're going to have some camp buzz coming up in a little bit. <laughs> I know. The Big Ten is starting camp like this week, right? It's it's right around now. If it's not this week, it is within the next seven days. The Big Ten is officially opening its preseason camp, so we will have camp buzz. And we'll be counting them up with win totals at the same time as we're doing locks and instant reaction. Yep. Get ready. Uh, speaking of the the disjointed calendar, I am willing. I don't know. I can't. I can't guarantee here on September 30th that uh, that I'm going to have the best record of the group, but I can guarantee that I'm going to be all about. Colonial Athletic Association locks when it comes time for the CAA spring season. So the news came out uh, on Wednesday that they will play a six-game conference schedule that includes the option for schools to add up to two non-conference games during the 2021 spring season. Uh, It will run from March 6th to April 17th. Each team will receive a bye week within the seven-week time frame. I mean... This is going to be, uh, I, I think it'll be more exciting and more fun, and I will be more uh, entertained by it than XFL, without a doubt. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to do some CAA lock. March Madness, baby, CAA locks. So, Colonial uh, Athletic Conference is 
just pulling this. It's it's James Madison. It's Albany, Villanova, New Hampshire, Tal, Maine, Elon, Richmond, Delaware, William and Mary, Stony Brook, and Rhode Island. Rhode Island, who was eight zero oh and eight in conference last year, and had three guys at the NFL Combine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have should we be rhode island a rhode island podcast we got are we gonna all draft a colonial athletic association team uh, i mean as our as our as our as our rooting interest if so you guys, you guys don't have that sort of fandom in you what kind of hesitation was that well i i just i'm wondering if elon is too easy because the phoenix rises from the ashes and so can the caa as it comes back in the spring like i don't i don't want to go totally home i would say my backup would be william and mary my uh my neighbor pitched for william and mary a little while back so maybe i'd be able to get some insight into the football program there those would those are probably the two on my scouting board I'll probably go Richmond just because there's not enough teams named the Spiders in sports, so you got to reward them when they exist. Richmond was Richmond was a school that I wanted to get an offer from coming out of uh, high school, and they 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 didn't offer me. So, so I've got I've, I've so I'm so Richmond's rival now. I want, I want the <laughs> Richmond's rival. <laughs> Towson maybe another option if you want to be able to. Uh, uh, if you want to be able to get that insight from Mike Loxley, former Towson defensive back, he's, I know he's got all that, uh, Tigers pride, uh, for, for his old squad. So we'll have, we'll have several different entryways so, to Barton, it. Your rivalry choices will be either William and Mary, James Madison, or VMI. Those are the in-state schools. Mm-hmm. Is v, VMI is, uh, they're not in the conference. They're though. not in the conference. Yeah. So James Madison or William and Mary. I would love to have VMI. Just a rivalry military school. Not not the cadets, but the key debts. What's up? Yeah. We'll, we'll have to scout it. All right. Uh, we promised Rusty that we'd get him a, a long enough show to be able to uh, fulfill the 10,000 steps. So we, we got to bring him on next. Uh, coming up on the other side, Rusty Mansell on what's going on behind the scenes with that Georgia quarterback room, uh, what the game against Auburn's going to look like, and some thoughts on the SEC in general. All that and more next. Two majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Himmelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. There's nothing on earth quite like this. Oh, what a goal! The UEFA Champions League is back at its new home on CBS All Access. Stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live. That's incredible! The UEFA Champions League group stage kicks off Tuesday on CBS All Access. There's nothing like it. 
And now is our pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, a, a longtime friend of the show from Dogs247. It is Rusty Mansell. Rusty, this has been for you a a chaotic season, right? Because you're trying to keep track of, of high school football. You're trying to keep track of um, both everything that's going on in Georgia, the SEC and the Southeastern Conference, you know, uh, the whole footprint. Then how, how about this? How are you doing right now as we sit here uh, on Wednesday looking ahead to uh, week five, week two of the SEC play? It's a new appreciation because when you go into the summer and you're not sure you're going to have high school football, then you're not sure. You know, there was a week there in August that we didn't think there was going to be any football. I mean, at any point uh, with that day with, with you know, all the news that came down with the, the uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten, like what's going to happen? But I have a new appreciation for, for it. And, and this SEC schedule, man, I know these coaches hate it. I mean, they absolutely hate it behind the scenes. But for us as fans and, and journalists and stuff, man – it's great every week to know that every game's important and there's some big games on tap every week. So what does I mean you you mentioned the coaches hate it. So let's let's dive in right there. Like what 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 are the coaches saying about you go from uh you know all of a sudden second week of the season we're going to have Auburn and Georgia. A game that I guess correct me if I'm wrong, we were expecting it to be earlier than the November date this year already on the 2020 schedule, but I mean goodness gracious, second game out of the gate. That is uh that's something else to try and get your team mentally and physically prepared for that kind of test. It's almost like when you take, for example, say Georgia plays Presbyterian or, you know, Clemson plays Citadel those weeks. Those are, for lack of a better term, those are off weeks. Right. You, know, you get relaxed a little bit. You get to worry about your depth. You get to see your younger guys. It's a noon start. You may have 20 prospects there. You're going to get to go home and watch Saturday night football. When you have 10 SEC games, and I think Texas a and is a prime example, their fan base thought they were about to just beat down. Uh, Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt plays a hell of a game that to me that sets the tone there are no look at Georgia who would have thought Georgia and Arkansas Texas and Vandy were both seven and five at half. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds like the Yankees and Braves you know what I mean seven to five at half uh, so it tells you every single week in the SEC you better legit buckle it up because everybody's here to play and it's 10 straight weeks which I think the coaches uh, they don't have that luxury of that extra week before the big rivalry weekend it's just a totally different scenario, and uh, I'll just say this. I talked to a lot of coaches from around the league. Not a big fan. Fans <laughs> absolutely love this. Nick Saban wants it, though. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he can say what he wants in public, but I can promise you this, that Nick Saban loves that whoever they play. Western Carolina, football, right? And football, Western Carolina comes down the Catamounts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just – they can say what they want publicly, but this is a no BS podcast here, so I'm telling you right now, he don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer for him. I guarantee he doesn't like it. Um, well, you, Rusty, here's the you know the thing that I wanted to talk about. You could you could get off the podcast after this question for all I care. This is really all I want to talk to you about. This is the purpose of you getting on here. I want to hear from Rusty Manzel. Uh -oh. What the hell? The Georgia quarterback room chronologically has has looked like and felt like when you go back to the Jamie Newman transfer. Because there's been a lot of speculation. Sure. Chip and I have made our guesses. You know, we were talking on the on the podcast. We're like, oh, hey, J Jamie Newman's going to be the next Joe Burrow. And, and then it's like, well, JT Daniels is coming in, man. It's going to be a great battle. And then it's like, well, Dwan Mathis 
he, he would have beat them all out anyways. And then Dwight Massa sucks. And then Stetson Bennett comes in and Stetson Bennett's like, well, Stetson Bennett, may, you know, maybe Stetson Bennett's just Jake Fromm. <laughs> and then and, and now we have JT Daniels maybe going to come out again this week. And, oh, is JT Daniels going to light world on fire? Or are we going to find out why Dwight Massa's got hype because JT Daniels was the guy? Like, I want to know the real story, Rusty, the real story about what the quarterback room has been like at Georgia and 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 sort of what our expectations maybe can be for this weekend. I tell you, Barton, we're both married men, but if we were back in the day single men, you want to be the quarterback at Georgia because the hype around you every week you don't matter, <laughs> it's great. Because if you have a bad week and you're starting, somehow you're going to get some hype. But listen, I think the Dewan, let's just get to it. Dewan Mathis. And and we rode on Dogs 247. Uh, my man Jake Rowe, very connected to that staff. We're, we're very connected, I would say, um, to the pulse of what's going on there. And I'll tell you this. Dewan Mathis had a really good camp. He had some highs and he had some lows. This kid's athletic now. Mm-hmm. But the question is, what would he do on Saturdays? And and what he did Saturday was not uh, good at all. There was not too much there to say. Uh, he had a couple of runs, but, man, he looked uncomfortable. He looked indecisive, kind of locked in on receivers. That goal line throw, the interception – wasn't even close. He took a hit out of bounds, and, and you're going to have to learn. And then he kind of comes up short on a scramble. Those are things that maybe shook him a little bit. But at the end of the day, when Stetson Bennett came in, the offense was totally different. This guy was in control, um, second, third options, makes a big scramble for a, a two-point play, extended a couple plays. It's it's a big question mark, man. And Jamie Newman is going to be something that would probably be answered in the offseason. There's all kind of rumors going around, and myself included. I don't know exactly what happened. I do not know exactly what happened there. But I do know that Jawan Mathis, and I'm very comfortable in saying he has had some really good moments and some really good scrimmages, and he brings a different skill set than anybody else in that room, including JT Daniel. So I know that Georgia is going to give him another chance. How much another chance? I don't know. Because I know this, you got a steady Eddie, for lack of a better term, Stetson Bennett. I think they can run an offense with Stetson Bennett. Sure. But a 6'6", 210-pound athlete that you would have to account for every single play is a guy that you just can't push to the side right now. Because I know this, when you look at the big picture and you look at Alabama, what has beat Alabama? It's been a dual-threat guy. Mm-hmm. Burrow was a damn sure dual threat guy, regardless of whatever you say. But I saw him play twice in person, and I was still on the sideline at the SEC championship game. That dude was dual threat. His legs could hurt you just as much as his arm. So I know that Kirby Smart knows if we're going to slay that dragon, what we need to have, and the guy they have potentially in that room that fits that mold is Dewan Mathis. What has been so the – go ahead. Well, I, I just to, – to follow up then, because we – I think, you know – I, I get it. I get why like there's there is optimism and and sort of hype around certain players, but the the reality is the reality is which is we, we none of us really know until they play and the lights are on and the bullets are flying. Right. And in a way, even though we've seen JT Daniels before at USC, yep. in a way the like that that is consistent with 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 JT Daniels, like we we don't really know what we're going to get with JT Daniels. I assume we're, we're seeing JT Daniels this weekend. Do you have hunches as to what we can expect there? Do you think that this is because freshman year JT Daniels was just okay? Really, I mean, it was a tough situation, so it's hard to blame him. Yep. But he was he was just okay. Yep. Um, but he's talented, and 
I, I, I'm just curious if if JT Daniels is if there's any clarity into what Georgia thinks they're getting in JT Daniels when he trots out there. I think that you hit that right on the head. There was there's still some questions on him. The ceiling there is high because we've all seen that arm. We all saw the high school. We got to see him at the Adidas All American game. We know what potentially he can do. Now, has he done it, put it all together as a total package? No, he's also been hurt. He also had been through 11-month rehab. He also had to have his knee cleaned back out a second time, I think, in late April. Uh, had some soreness in late August. So there's still some things there uh, that are question marks for JT Daniel. Obviously, if you want to say arm, I think he is the arm in that room. Um, kind of that alpha guy coming out of high school, got a little California swag to him a little bit, walks in with the head bowed back a little bit type guy, and that's okay. Uh, if you back it up. So, you know, there's some intangibles about him that nobody else in that room has as well. So I'm not real sure again, because Georgia wasn't a thousand percent sure what they had in Dewan Mathis. Would JT Daniels get in this weekend? I think right now he's just a little bit behind. Listen, this kid's went through an 11 month rehab, man. He got released on Monday. Doesn't mean he's out dunking and doing windmills. That means he can shoot a layup. Playing a little bit. I think people kind of underestimate that clear. So I think right now to trot JT Daniel out against Auburn is probably not JT Daniel's best interest and That's probably true. not George's best interest. That, But, I, I mean, is it doesn't that what every Georgia fan wants to think is that he's doing windmills? Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> I mean, trust me, on the board this morning, I got I got yelled at for basically saying Dwan Mathis got the majority of the rep yesterday in practice, and that didn't go over well. You know? <laughs> so, you know, Dwan Mathis is, is listen um, – it's just an unknown. We didn't know. And I still think that that you just don't give up on a kid. And it doesn't seem like Georgia really is right now. But I know what they have in Stetson Bennett. They've had Stetson Bennett on that roster now for three years. And Kirby Smart had to bring him back on scholarship. What people don't know, he was silently committed to Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette. Mm. Georgia came in at the last second. And for Kirby Smart to get him back, he had to put him on scholarship. And I'll tell you what, Billy Napier's doing a hell of a job evaluating guys right now, as Barton knows. Uh, that roster is pretty stacked. So says a lot about him. I think Georgia has a really good grasp on Stetson Bennett and what they can do with him. There's still some guys, quote-unquote, may have a higher ceiling than him. Let's see what Georgia does with, with JT Daniels and DeJuan Mathis. What about the offense as a whole? Because, you know, the, Todd Monken came in as a, a symbol, really, more than anything, as the, you know, Kirby Smart and the Georgia offense was about to take all these steps forward. Then you've got the the spring practices impacted. Your offseason workouts are impacted. Your preseason camp just sort of turns into this, you know, just dodging protocols and taking tests, doing everything you can. So the install, without a doubt, has not been anywhere close to what Todd Monken would want. So, how, what kind of sense have you gotten from the, either that coaching staff or the players on, you know, whether what we're seeing in 2020 is anywhere close to what has been imagined uh, with Todd Monken coming in? Two things I've said about Georgia the entire offseason consistently. This defense will be the best defense Kirby Smart may have at Georgia. It, it may be the best defense he'll ever get to coach at Georgia. Offensively, man, they lost a ton. I'm talking Isaiah Wilson, if he can – Stay off Broadway was a first-round draft pick. <laughs> uh, Andrew Thomas, who is a starting left tackle for the for the Giants and doing well. You got Solomon Kinley, who's starting for the Dolphins. Oh, by the way, DeAndre Swift, who had a hellacious drop week one, has come back and had two good weeks. I mean, those are huge pieces of the puzzle. And let's not skip Jake Fromm. Whatever you think about Jake, I guarantee you Georgia fans got a different perspective of Jake Fromm sure. right now than they do what they did the last couple of years because he was consistent. He won games and he didn't turn the ball over. 
Uh, so, you know, they lost a lot of pieces. So I think it's kind of unfair right now to say where this offense is because, you know, no spring practice, limited summer, limited camp, new quarterback, new system right now. Man, they are replacing a ton of key pieces. Now, they got talented guys. This wide receiver room is an upgrade from last year. No question about it. They got some absolute really, really good players as freshmen, but it's going to take time for those guys. You're bringing in a quarterback. I think you're going to judge this offense where they are week seven, week eight, week nine. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. week two, three, and four is going to be World War Three games, Auburn, Tennessee, and Alabama. So you have to find out real quick. And I think Georgia fans have to understand what they lost, man, because they lost guys that are starting in the NFL. What about the what about the bread and butter? Like the the, the ground game, right? Because you, yeah. you like your running backs and that offensive line has been recruited so well, you know, ever since Kirby Smart got there. And yes, we got Matt Luke coming in for Sam Pittman, but I mean, shouldn't shouldn't I still have a, a high expectation for the way that Georgia can lean back on that ground game as a way to complement a fantastic defense and be able to still compete at a championship level, even as the rest of the offense sort of gets its feet under it? Yeah, they've got to this week. They've got to establish a running game. The second half, you know, kind of, I couldn't really tell what they were trying to do the first half. They'd throw a couple series, and they would try to run a couple series. They'd kind of throw James Cook out there and kind of do a few things. I think Georgia has got to find an identity. I think this week you definitely better identify yourself, uh, create an identity, playing Auburn. Uh, I think they want to run the ball. I thought Zamir White made two runs last week. This is the first time I have seen him since high school not look stiff, not straight line power. I mean, he made people miss. He had a jump cut in the in the goal line area that scored, and I thought, wait a minute, that's kind of the Zamir White we all saw in high school that we all thought was so special uh, before the two ACLs. So I think he's a guy uh, moving forward. I think also Georgia made a change. They took Warren McClendon to right tackle, took out Owen Condon, and when they brought Warren McClendon in, they put Warren Erickson at center and Trey Hill at guard. Okay. They're mixing and matching. You know, they, look, they didn't know what how these kids are going to react. You know, so they're trying to find their identity there. Matt Luke working in some new guys. They've got some talented young offensive linemen. Uh, Sam Pittman did not leave that room empty by any means. But I'll tell you this: they got to find the right pieces to work together. But they have got to establish a run. I look for Kenny McIntosh, a guy that I really like out of South Florida. I think Kenny McIntosh is going to be a guy that's going to get more touches this weekend, uh, maybe even more than James Cook. How do you how do you see the matchup with Auburn specifically? What's um, what are some of the key inflection points and and what sort of is going to turn that game? What what are some of the key matchups you're keeping an eye on? Just kind of kind of give me some of your overarching uh, points of interest there. You know, for whatever series, this kind of reminds me of what Florida did to Georgia for a long time. For about 20 years, Florida Georgia fans just just couldn't handle it because they could not beat Florida. They couldn't beat Spurrier. I mean, they just couldn't dial in how to win those games and. Listen, you go back, I went back yesterday, um, and you go back 2018, you go back 2017, SEC Championship, because I was at the Auburn game 2017 there. They absolutely kicked Georgia's rear end up and down the field. Georgia ranked number one in the country, I think. They came in, and Auburn was buckled up and ready to play. Georgia comes back in the 2017 SEC Championship, obviously different setting. Hard to beat a team twice. I know that all those things go into it. You take 2017, 2018, and 2019 – Auburn's had 36 offensive possessions. You know how many touchdowns Auburn's had in those three games? Four. Four touchdowns. 36 possessions and four touchdowns. This is the best team that Auburn's going to face defensively for Georgia. They have faced yet. This team, and I, you, Barton, I steal this word from you because 
I think this is the best way to describe it. Georgia will absolutely suffocate you on defense. They are big. They're fast. They're long. Seth Williams had a big game against Georgia last year. But you know who didn't? Swartz had – Swartz and, and um, Stove had 10 catches for 66 yards in that game. Those other guys shut those guys down. So I think Bo Nix is going to have to have one of his games. I really think Bo Nix is on the cusp of taking that next step. I love the intangibles him. We've known him since high school. Talked to Patrick two weeks ago about one of his players. He's got actually committed to Georgia right now. Young man Jackson Meeks at Barton, you're aware of. I just think that the matchup for Georgia defensively against four new offensive line starters is going to be a problem for Auburn because Georgia is very, very strong up front. Nolan Smith had a tremendous game. Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, Elijah Aziz Ojolari. Georgia is extremely strong there, and they got corners that can run. They got safeties that can run. Auburn is going to have to do something offensively, or Georgia will beat them sixteen to seven, and it will seem it'll seem like the last two games where they just cannot get past the Georgia defense. Um, Chip, did you want to go? Where, where were you trying to go with here? Well, I mean, the so Auburn defensively has some of the best linebackers in the SEC. You know, they 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 have uh, a defense that led the way. I I think during Bo Nix's freshman year, and as uh, Bo Nix is trying to take these step forward steps forward with Chad Morris and and try to get a little bit more consistent. You know, that's that being able to lean on that defense has been good. But like, do you see in the trenches on the other side that being almost a wash? Because you mentioned sixteen to seven, right? You mentioned the the rock fight where it's just if yep. if we don't believe that Bo Nix is going to score a touchdown on us, we'll play field position. You know, we'll yep. punt from the forty five middle field. We'll pin you back, and and eventually, you know, we hope that George Pickens is going to be able to bust one. But like. You know, are they going to be able – is Auburn the matchup uh, in this stretch that we got? So, you, uh, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama. Is Auburn a defense where you think that Georgia's offense is going to be able to at least work some things in and have a little bit of success? I hate to have the old coach speak, but it's who can run the ball. I mean, Auburn had 91 yards rushing on Kentucky. You look at the stats in the Kentucky game, Kentucky had the ball 36 minutes compared to 21 time of possession. They outrushed Auburn. They outpassed Auburn. They shut Auburn down, had a couple of turnovers. End of the day, Auburn won that game because they got a wide receiver they could not deal with, and kudos to them. And Bo Nix dropped a dime to Stove, too, for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So I just think – and that, listen, I talked to an NFL scout yesterday. He made a great point to me. I went back and watched some of the tape. Owen Pepo gets a lot of the headlines, and he's a kid that me and Barton are very familiar with. This guy can absolutely fly. But Zacoby McLean, another kid from Valdosta, Georgia, can absolutely fly as well. They got two linebackers that can go sideline to sideline. So Georgia – is not going to be able to just, you know, Zamir White left, Zamir White right, and outrun these guys. These guys will get downhill on you in a hurry. But they also lost Marlon Davidson and Derrick Brown, who were two NFL freak shows. I mean, those two guys, we, we've covered them in high school, Derrick Brown specifically. Uh, I, I tell you what, I went to get Derrick Brown one time for a junior all-star game. I had to meet his mom and dad to get him a ride to practice, so I will meet him. I knew this kid was bad. When I saw him six foot four, three hundred and ten pounds, bend and get out of the back of a Ford Taurus, <laughs> when he got out of the back seat of a Ford Taurus, I said, "This dude is a bad man." And uh, he obviously at Auburn, he was something else. And I just think right now, I mean, I'm trying because I'm I'm always that guy on our site, and they hate me for it. You know, I'm always the guy that predicts the game a lot closer than what it is. 
But the more I dig into this game, I think Georgia really should like this matchup because where they're got questions, Auburn has questions. Georgia, new defensive um, – Georgia, new, it's a new offensive line. Auburn, new defensive line. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the strength? It's going to be Georgia's defensive line against four new starters at Auburn. So, to me, man, if I'm Georgia and I'm going to have to pick this game on Friday, right now I really like this matchup, but they have got to have quarterback play. Auburn is not going to let them run it down their throat. It's not going to happen. That's why I think you could get into one of those games like you said, Chip. They could absolutely punt the ball all day long and say, Bo Nix and Auburn's going to have to beat us. Dare you to, you know? Yeah. And that's they did last year. Now, listen, now they almost did. They came back late right. last year. Came back late. Georgia had a turnover, and they almost flipped that thing around. Uh, and, and, and that's been kind of the M.O. about Kirby Smart. Can he put, a, put away teams? The Florida game last year, you go back and think about the Florida game. Georgia pretty much dominated that. At the end of the game, Jake Fromm had to drop a ball to Eli Wolf to keep possession to win that game. So they've got to learn to put teams away like that. Uh, we'll see. But it's all come out to quarterback play for Georgia, I think, is how this game's going to go. Because I really, as I dig into this, I really like this matchup for Georgia's defense. I don't know if I don't if if I I don't know about Dwan Mathis getting all the first team reps in practice this week. Because you know what Auburn does really well. Yeah. In the yeah. in the big games, mm-hmm. they get pick sixes and scoop sure. and scores and silly plays that yep. make no sense. And you know, this may be one of these. Yeah, yeah. Not turn the ball over, and I agree. And I'll say this: got to be real clear on this. We we kind of confirmed it was on Tuesday practice. It doesn't mean yeah. that on Wednesday practice, Stetson Bennett doesn't get his reps. Yeah, and yeah. JT Daniel gets half. But as of Tuesday, we know that Dewan Mathis got the majority of those reps. So we'll, we'll see how things come out this afternoon. All right. So before we get you out of here, Rusty, uh, what look big picture SEC. Um, as you look around the conference, because you you talk to a lot of people, you know a lot of people in the conference, and you you obviously follow the conference. What what are a, maybe a team or two uh, that you think, you know, maybe you're a little bit bullish on, or or or, or a team that you think has a chance to people over the course of the you know the ten game season? I think that two things, and I'm really going to go on a limb here. Alabama is damn good. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's going to shock some people. But when I watched those first couple of series, you know, I, I, I told people this. When I sat in Phillips Arena in 2017 for the national championship game, when Georgia walked in on media day that morning, I said, yeah, they got some guys. Georgia, they're, they're big. You don't realize how big Alabama is until they walk in as a team. And they look like that again. And, you know, they had some pieces, but – Man, they're so big, so fast, and and Mac Jones, man, I know he wasn't. Everybody had the, everybody had the eyes on the five star, but man, he looks great. They've got receivers. I think that that's all not news to anybody. I think Tennessee's a team that I'm very interested in, and I've said this from the start. Jeremy Pruitt is flipping that roster. It's going to come down to one thing for me, and that's quarterback play. Can Jared Garitamo make those plays against Georgia, Alabama, and Florida? Made a couple throws in there, and they had a hell of a third down conversion the other night when a one-handed catch by their wide receiver. By the way, you know, my guy, but I thought Mike Bubba did a great job. I thought Colin Hill had a great game. It's first game. They're, they're under man, man. They had a chance at the end there, South Carolina. But, man, they got a brutal schedule. Uh, I thought the kids at Arkansas played big time for Sam Pittman. Somebody told me this last week, and it really made sense to me. 
This is Dirk Russell at Sam Pittman. I really, truly believe that for from the Georgia perspective, these kids are going to run through a brick wall for Sam Pittman. Um, they may not have the result. Um, they won't at the end of the year. They're going to win a game this year, and that team is going to get a lot better as it goes on. They're recruiting really, really good. And I think Sam Pittman's going to do a good job. But man, you got to look at Mississippi State and go, you better buckle up because they got receivers running everywhere. It's kind of like that scene in Remember the Titans where the guy goes, Coach, it looks like Monday Night Football. They're running all over the field. I don't know what's going on. That was probably what was going on LSU sideline because they had crossing routes. Uh, K.J. Costello looked great. Mississippi State's that team that you probably don't want to lock up with right now because there's not a lot of tape. You know, you have to go back and watch those uh, Apple games and all that kind of stuff now, the Apple Cup. But Mike Leach, man, what a what an introduction to go into Baton Rouge. But if I told you all last week that Mississippi State was going to have nine rushing yards, I don't care what happens. They're not winning that game. Right. And they did almost by two touchdowns. New SEC, baby. Bringing the, bringing the West to the Southeast. I'll tell you what, the, uh, on Tennessee, I think that that team, like, they should be scouring the transfer wire. And if they get, if they get them a grad transfer quarterback yep. that can play next hey. year, yeah. that, that, could, be, that hey. could be a scary deal for the rest of the conference. They came this close to getting JT Daniels. This close, and, and well, he wouldn't be playing right now. Apparently, well, I mean, you know, you know, and and he had you. They almost got him, so it tells you yeah. your answer. They know, right? Right, he, I got you. Yeah. He needs that guy. Yeah. So he recruited JT Daniels extremely hard, and you know, look, it created a what the hell's going on at Georgia when they brought him in? Can you imagine Peter Brunt came to Tennessee in June, June first? Like everybody went, wait a minute, what? What's going on here? So. Uh, it tells you that that um, that they're thinking the same thing, and it's all about quarterback play for them, man. Because I'm telling you, they got speed, they got the right guys. Uh, you know, they're going to get better in some spots. But you know, listen, nobody, nobody knew if Jeremy Pruitt could do it on game day. Nobody knew if Kirby Smart could do it on game day. Sure, not one person questioned could Jeremy Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt recruit because he was an alpha recruiter. He knew how to do it. He could coach. It was going to take him long to get this roster the way it's looking. It's going to come down to Tennessee to quarterback play there. And they come to Athens next weekend. So there's going to be a lot of questions answered for Georgia this week. How are they offensively? But they'll have another tough challenge next week when Jeremy Pruitt and the balls come to town. Do you think that Lane Kiffin is more intimidating or more uh, sideshow? Is he more entertainment or is there a lot of substance to what the Rebels can be right now? I think that Lane Kiffin's a hell of a play caller. I think he is an absolute hell of a play caller. I think he's got some guys out there that's going to cause some issues. They're going to work some things out. Florida's a great football team. I think he said in his press conference, that's one of the top four or five teams in the country maybe, and he's probably right. Uh, I think Lane Kiffin is that guy off the field. He's who you think he is. He's chill. He's probably flip-flop guy, cargo shorts, you know, Corona extra lime guy on the beach. You know, he's that guy. But when it, when it's when it's Saturday – He's buckled up and he's calling plays. And I'm telling you right now, he keeps getting jobs because of that. Mm-hmm. Because people understand this guy is an offensive mind and he can call plays. Because they're going to get somebody, right? I mean, this is yeah, this is this is not a, a team that yeah. where they're going to be what just counting a couple wins on their hands. Like there's there's one top team that he's going to be able to have it all come together. Elijah Moore just you know tore up that Florida secondary, and you know Matt Corral is showing that he is taking a bunch of steps forward uh, yeah. defensively. A lot, a lot. DJ Durkin's got to bring that crew up and get a little bit more consistency. But um, I don't know. I've, I, am I misguided in thinking that? No, I think they're I, absolutely. You know, I thought Texas A&M might be that team that kind of took that step. I don't know where, you know, look, 
Vandy, who knows? That Vandy may have circled the wagons, and they're a lot tougher than people think. I'm just not real sure on Texas A&M, but I can tell you this. If they can't get it together, preseason, looking at Mississippi State and Ole Miss, their fans probably chalk those up as W's, probably a little bit nervous right now because that's going to be a different scenario if you cannot score points on those teams. He is Rusty Mansell. You can check him out. All the work, Dogs247. Rusty, a pleasure as always. I heard the sweet whispers of an under from your game analysis. So I think, I, I mean, listen, it's what I live for. I live for those 16 to 7 field position games. I, I, I want old school SEC. Get Mike Leach's air raid out of here. I, I like to see uh, the fist fights and the barroom brawls. So we'll, we'll have to see on the, uh, the locks pod when we're making our picks later in the week. But, uh, uh, but man, this, uh, is my, this is my, my cover three, uh, I guess, uh, admit guilty here. You guys are my walking pod, okay? So I listen to you if it's 44 minutes or if it's 103. So I don't need any emergency pods because that just gives me about a lap and I come back. Oh, you back. need more. <laughs> <laughs> I need Rusty. 50 to 55 minutes to get my damn steps in, and this is my go-to pod now. Rusty, you're telling on yourself. You, how old are you? you just your, your workout is just a walk, just a casual walk. Go get on a bike, man. Get a little jogging. Get that sweat. You know, come on now. You can do better to walk. Let me tell you something. I can go up to this counter right here and pull out a state championship ring that was 50 <laughs> years ago, and I peaked right there. A six foot, 190 pound tight end that ran a five three forty. I peaked in. So I'm trying to get 10,000 steps right now. Hey. Walk team, I'm right there with you, man. You know, I gotta, gotta, gotta find out sooner or later. Yeah, well, I don't do anything. I, you know, walk you is better will. than what I do. You will. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll smell a cook like four pounds come on you. <laughs> uh, thanks, Rusty. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found.